This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with relationship and narcissistic abuse recovery coach Elizabeth Barre about transpersonal psychology, using spirituality in the healing process, and the unfortunate prevalence of spiritual abuse. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A. I am Brandon Chadwick, and this is a podcast that interviews mental health professionals, lawyers, researchers, and authors about narcissistic and domestic abuse. And before we get into our episode, let me state that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do not substitute the show for medical advice. If you are struggling, please do reach out to your current professional that you use or please do call your local domestic abuse agency. And now, it's time for the show. Here is my interview with Elizabeth Barre. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A. With me today, I have Elizabeth Barre. She is a relationship coach that specializes in narcissistic abuse in toxic relationships. She has a background in transpersonal psychology, yoga, and spirituality. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Hi, and thanks for having me. So today... I mean, we are going to talk about a lot of stuff. We're going to talk about spirituality. We're going to talk about transpersonal psychology. We're going to get into a lot of interesting things. I've been really excited to talk to you. So first off, tell us a little bit about your practice uh, and I guess your background in transpersonal psychology. Okay. Um, so I am a registered life coach and I specialize in relationships and I have a I have a further focus in narcissistic abuse and patterns of attracting toxic partners. Um, and my university background and career background uh, was in transpersonal psychology. And then, you know, after university, I sort of um, spent some time in the mental health field uh, and uh, trauma-informed care and things like that. Um I am a yoga teacher with about 1,100 hours of training. Uh, so my my coaching practice has uh, a transpersonal lens. Um, 
is largely due to my background. So can you explain transpersonal psychology for everyone who has no idea what it is? Sure. It's it's a form of uh, psychology that works with the supposition that human beings are essentially spiritual and that illness occurs if we are uh, not working in service to our spiritual selves or our, or our higher purpose. There's a lot of ways that you could you could talk about spirituality, but uh, you could really call it your higher self as well. And when it comes to narcissistic abuse, how do you use, uh, I guess, your coaching modality with this to uh, guide people from being a victim to survivor to thriver? Yeah, so I, ha- I kind of break it down into, into three parts in my coaching practice. So um, I have a general method. And I work with um, a model of life coaching that's specific for relationship coaching. And then I, I, break, uh, I break down uh, limiting beliefs and parts of our adult development uh, that could be causing you to attract these patterns into your life subconsciously. Um, and so that looks like, in terms of method, uh, I we we would start a session um, through a specific practice called open awareness, which is uh, basically a, a mindfulness practice in nature. It works with your perceptions to open your awareness and uh, to reveal to you, um, I guess, sort of states of being that you might not always consciously be aware of. Um, and then we just kind of go through working out, figuring out what your true core values are as a human and where you you may be showing up for those values and where you actually might be betraying those values or sort of exchanging those values in order to meet other needs. And people who are in relationships where there's narcissistic abuse or it's toxic often are actually engaging in giving up parts of their value system in exchange uh, for having um, the toxic partner meet another need. So we break down, um, after we identify what's happening, we break down, um, you know, basically the pattern of of that. So um, I work with uh, Keegan's orders of development. I work with CBD. I work with attachment styles um, and other other types of techniques. So how does the transpersonal aspect of everything feed into spirituality? Well, it's definitely linked to spirituality because spirituality is often uh, one of the ways that we actually access the transpersonal in our everyday life. The word transpersonal just means over the personal. So it just really refers to any kind of conscious state where you're sort of maybe... Um, augmented over the conventional, uh, let's say the conventional state of consciousness. So that can come up in exercise. It can come come up when you're communing with nature. It can come up with uh, any of your spiritual practices that you might already have in your life. If you like to do yoga, if you you like mindfulness and meditation, if you're you're connected to a more um, religious orientation, that is also um, 
a way that we can approach this idea of transpersonal consciousness. And does your approach help both types of uh, uh, abuse survivors, those who have been uh, raised in a dysfunctional narcissistic home and those who were blindsided and dated people who were of a high conflict toxic variety? Yeah, definitely. It's a really gentle approach and it's very human centered. So it's super flexible in terms of who, who actually can benefit with, with this type of approach. Um, and, you know, often we find if we have a pattern of attracting narcissistic abuse into our adult relationships, whether it was once or many times, there could have been something that happened in our family of origin um, that, that made us actually start to, you know, to sort of um, set the stage, I guess, to, to let that occur in our adult self. And when it comes to spirituality... And it's something we talked about before we started doing this episode. Spirituality is tough to define for a lot of people of what what actually is spiritual. Because a lot of people, when they think of spirituality, they think of hippy dippy kind of things, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, you know, many people are uncomfortable with the label, particularly if they haven't spent a lot of time contemplating what that means for them. And many people also have had bad experiences with religion or religious communities, and they want to distance themselves from that. Um, and I, I totally get that. So, you know, spirituality, in your, in your own experience, you can look for um, any, anything that you're doing that connects you with your higher sense of self um, and anything that you might be doing that gives you a feeling that you are more expansive than just, you know, just sort of one individual and that you're actually more connected to to the universe and to others. Yeah, yeah. so for myself... And now, everyone, we're going to get into my my stuff. <laughs> I've been nervous about this to do to do this. Uh, well, I've I've done it before, but every single time I get nervous when we delve into my own psyche and my beliefs. Um, and you know, spirituality to me, you know, I've gone to a uh, briefly to like a twelve step program. I've done the Hoffman process where they, you know, it all is about a higher power and things along those lines. And that kind of stuff always made me uncomfortable. And they always ask you to replace it with what you feel comfortable with. So that that makes you think a lot and about what you believe in and and what your higher power is going to be when it comes to spirituality, because those programs were based in uh, spirituality. So for me, I had to think of, well, what do I believe in and what is my spirit? And I guess I believe in the laws of earth and and mother nature and that, you know, we're on this planet and, you know, this planet is just like our bodies where our bodies can recover and heal from what's going on. Sometimes a poison infects it and our body does its best to fight back just like the earth does. I mean, you know, so I I believe, you know, so for me, I always say that my higher power is, is mother nature. And that means my higher power is the earth. We were born from it and we're going to 
you know, when we die, we're going to go back into it and things are going to be regrown through me. So for me, I guess my spirituality is, you know, where I would feel probably best is to be out in, in nature, even though I was born in a city, I'm a city kid, uh, you know, but there's a disconnect when, when you're in this for so long, you forget that there's these other things that you kind of need to go to and surround yourself with. And, and another thing for me was a sense of community and how do you feel, you know, for me, spirituality, I guess, is feeling connected to the rest of the world and, yeah. um, you know, being connected to other people and how I'm able to do that. And, you know, I kind of go back to the story of when I was in a coaching program and on, on day one, I was sent out into the streets of San Francisco. I was given a mantra to remember. I had to, I had an hour to remember it. And I had to go out into uh, the streets of San Francisco and walk around while saying this mantra in my head. And it was a long mantra. I forgot most of it, but at the end, the last line was pretty much uh, said, uh, and when you die, you will die with uh, nothing, uh, like none of your possessions, not like just to kind of give you the the sense that like we, everything you think is, is real and tangible it really, yeah. it really isn't. And when you, I kept on saying these, this thing over and over in my head while walking by people and all of a sudden it kind of went from being, uh, I guess this vertical world in my, in my brain, if I can put it that way to being horizontal. And it's like, I could see lines attached from myself to other people and just by being very present and I guess that became part of, I guess, in my mind, spirituality to me is to be present with whoever you are with. And I know that's an odd thing for people to think about as being spirituality. But for me, that's what it became because mm-hmm. when you're present with people, you're connected with people. And, yeah. and so that, that was kind of a, a big thing for me. And when I, when I get down, you know, I, I took something called the Hoffman process a long time ago. And during the process, they ask you to create your spirit guide. And it's one of those things where, you know, you think it's goofy at the time. Oh, I'm going to draw my spirit guide. <laughs> and I drew a scene in my head where what was the most relaxing thing to me and my spirit guide was a koala bear because I obviously I wanted the cutest uh the the, the cutest spirit guide there could be and my scene which I've been drawing for you it's not done yet but I've drawn the background for you is the scene in I guess the red rock desert of I guess maybe like Sedona Arizona something like that in my mind okay. and it's all red rocks and there's this river running through the right hand side and there's I guess this log that's there and uh, a fire and it's me and my koala bear just hanging out 
Yeah. And, you know, in this very peaceful uh, desert-like setting with water and in that water, you know, I, I can get on that water if I want to. Um, and it's just, you know, that's my, my, my guide. And for a long time after I haven't done it in a long time, but I would talk to, to Michael Oliver when I finished the awful process, I would go and, you know, when I was down or not even down every day in the morning, my practice was, which I should get back to doing. My practice was I would talk to in the shower. I would talk about how my day was going to go and, you know, the things that my, I might encounter during the day. And, you know, I would always seek guidance and it's something that has slipped and my spirituality has slipped in, in, in the last few years. And it's something I want to get back to. So for me, um, you know, I guess we talk about what are that, that would be my spirituality, but, mm. but your, I guess, coaching, you look at someone and say, what are their spiritual wounds? So can you explain, you know, I've explained what my spirituality is, and I'm sure everyone out there has their own definition of spirituality. Uh, What is a spiritual wound and how would you go about helping someone with that? Well, I mean, a spiritual wound would really be characterized in its origin as any place where you find where you find that you're abandoning yourself over and over. So that can look like not defending yourself um, when you should have sit, stood up to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. That can that can look like letting people violate your boundaries. And I think what is uh, most important when we're looking at that kind of wounding is to, is to figure out exactly where you're doing it, like what kinds of situations you're doing it in, what happens in your body when you're doing that, and then also to kind of unpack maybe when it started and and why you started doing that in the first place, and and in that way you can have some awareness around it and, and start and start start to heal around those places. So just going back to the definition of spirituality for one second and yeah. and what I was discussing uh, about my own, are there yeah. are there different levels of spirituality? Well, I would say that there's different levels and ways of practicing spirituality or kind of getting in touch with spirituality. Um, but so when, when I was listening to what you were describing, I mean, first of all, what you were saying about the, the mantra that you used in San Francisco and you walked around, you had this very expansive experience where the boundary between self and other kind of broke down and you sort of felt connected to your fellow beings and in a, sense of universal love Um, and then the fact that that has stayed with you as such a powerful moment those types of experiences are like the classic transpersonal experiences experiences they're actually um, in psychology they're called peak experiences Um, and so in in my in my coaching especially if people are kind of struggling to define what spirituality is for them and spiritual spiritual experiences that they've had in the past. We look for this for experiences that kind of have these types of characteristics. And when you said that, you know, you're kind of not, you're, you're not spiritual anymore and you feel, you feel maybe some kind of obligation to, to get back to that. You know, I, I really believe that 
we have these experiences naturally over our lifetime and we can go back to those experiences and we can go back to how we felt in that moment and we can bring it back and we can use that in the present. Um, it's always accessible for us. Um, and, you know, I, I also coach people in, um, if, if they want to engage in, in kind of inducing experiences like that safely, then that's something we also look into. And I really work with pe what people are naturally attracted to doing. A lot of people, they'll, they'll contact me and I kind of tell them about my practice. And I'm often questioned like, okay, you're going to give me advice or you're going to teach me like a, meditative practices. And um, it's, it's really not the approach. It's really just opening up to what's actually there for you and what speaks to you. And is it unrealistic to think uh, or for someone to think that they can stay in a high level, high experiencing uh, spirituality for a very long period of time? I think it's realistic to say that you can have a robust spiritual practice that gives you access to um, to different types of spiritual awareness and different types like spiritual states. But um, in in consciousness studies, it's um, it's it's pretty much accepted that we're always in a, a flow of differing states of consciousness. And what we're kind of in all the mostly all the time is what's called conventional consciousness. It's your general waking consciousness. And it allows you to have uh, like a healthy ego structure and it allows you to organize your life um, and to set goals and kind of go about your day and, and, and to be organized as an individual. Um, and then, you know, you can, you can find yourself experiencing um, peak states, which can be induced by exercise or uh, spiritual practice, um, communing with nature, uh, sexual experiences um, are one of the most common ways that we can break through into peak experience. And, and also um, some people use things like psychedelics to get a glimpse of that. Um, so to say that, that you can stay there um, all the time is not really how we naturally are as human beings. Um, and so, you know, the idea is to kind of identify what those experiences have been in, in your life. And um, maybe if you're interested to develop a meditation practice or a spiritual practice where, where you could, um, where you can access that and, and use it for your own benefit. So we've been talking about spirituality and the good parts of spirituality. How, mm -hmm. However, in this world, we have people who create spiritual attacks and who uh, are, I guess, in spiritual communities who are in charge or gurus or consider themselves gurus and, and things like that. But they themselves are toxic people. So let's okay. so like let's discuss like shadow work and those communities and and those people and um, spiritual abuse. 
Um, so, yeah. so yeah, I guess define a spiritual abuse and spiritual attacks and, mm-hmm. um, how to recognize this type of abuse. Cause it's very traumatizing for the people who yeah. are the followers uh, of these types of individuals. And, you know, recently we've seen a documentary on uh, Netflix about Bikram yoga, which, mm-hmm. you know, it was big like, problem in that community. And it's, 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 um, more prevalent, uh, than anyone thinks. Yeah, well, the fact is, is you know, the whole narcissistic abusive relationship, it, it's really caught on in the general culture right now. And that's for a reason. It's because many, many people are experiencing this. And the fact is that anything that would be happening in relationships between two individuals, you can also make the argument that it's probably happening on a more collective scale between perhaps an individual and a group. And I think that as the, the awareness of narcissistic abuse within families and narcissistic abuse between romantic partners um, is expanding, we're also seeing that narcissistic, narcissistic abuse in these religious communities are, is being exposed on kind of a mass scale. And I have, um, I was involved in, I guess, Buddhist community in general when I was living in America. Um, and the, the university I went to, it's kind of a Buddhist-inspired university. My degree was in transpersonal psychology. And while I was actually doing my psychology program, I noticed that there was a high level of narcissism just in people in the spiritual community in general, and then particularly um, people who are attracted to leadership positions in spiritual community. And... I've heard of the same types of abuses going on in large Christian groups. Um, so it's not, not really like relegated to one tradition or another. Um, and recently there was, um, there's two really like significant um, disruptions in the, the really uh, long time established Buddhist communities uh, in America, um, Shambhala, and also Dharma Ocean recently, um, they've acknowledged this type of abuse um, in their organizations, and it's really sad. Um, but generally, uh, you can recognize signs of that um, because the leader will engage in groom- grooming of new members, love bombing, um, Questioning and doubt is getting discouraged. Uh, there's public shaming of community members who, uh, who are sort of challenging the status quo. Um, there's triangulation that goes on in interpersonal communications. Um, and basically, it's, there's going to be a charismatic leader that sort of demands um, complete and absolute loyalty and um, so I think it's it's very pervasive in spiritual community, and and I think we're seeing people become a lot more aware of it right now. Is there a hierarchy in the sense of the leader is in his spot? They have maybe a right hand man or woman, and and th- and then also they have their crew of next level flying monkeys, a- aka soldiers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're they're definitely set up like this. It's like it's like a leader, and then they have. So they, there's usually like an, an elitist vibe within the spiritual community. You know, there there are people that are really in with the leader, 
and they're in the highest positions in the hierarchy. But they're going to be people that are not going to question the leader, and they are also going to push down any challenge to the leader or to the to the dogma of the group. Um, and they're going to triangulate people who challenge the ideology um, and the loyalty to the group. Um, they're going to triangulate people against each other. They're going to use um, maybe information that was offered up in a moment of vulnerability. They'll use those kinds of things against them and just create like um, a culture of, of fear um, and paranoia. So for a lot of people who have had a very difficult life before they get involved in these spiritual communities and then find community within that for the first time and then within that community, it uh, the abuse happens there. At that point, how difficult – I don't even know if this is a good question, but how difficult is that to bounce back from? And is it something someone can bounce back from because all of a sudden – you know, you, you've been, you, you know, one point of your life, you, you're, you're treated terribly and now you have this thing and it's like, you've just given everything, whatever you had left in you was here. And then it's now, boom, it's gone again. Yeah. Because you're love bombed by the group in the beginning and you're told that you're, you're safe now. And, and also it's, it's wrapped up in religion. So it's wrapped up in, in what we consider to be sacred and what we consider to be, uh, liberated and a source of healing. And certainly also you're having healing experiences. You're having like what we call transpersonal experiences in a lot of cases. And so the practices are good, but you know, many times the, the group dynamic can be toxic. Um, I do think it's possible to bounce back. Um, it's sad because a lot of people who have been abused this way in the past, in their family of origin, um, and and maybe in friend groups and in romantic relationships, um, when you when you're in a cycle of, of attracting this into your life, it's going to show up everywhere, and your your spiritual group might not be any different. Um, so I think, honestly, it's the same process of really becoming conscious of exactly what's happening and becoming conscious of where your boundaries should be and how you're not showing up for those boundaries and then kind of making the appropriate um, life adjustments. So if that means accepting that you're going to be shunned in that spiritual community because you've decided to leave or you've decided to speak out against um, a toxic hierarchy, um, then that's just what it looks like. And that's the first step on the road to recovery. Um, and then finding the correct support when you're going through that is really, really critical. So for me, yeah, we're going to bring this all back to me. <laughs> for, for me, um, you know, uh, my own issues. So let's kind of use me as a guinea pig in, in this sense, because I started a podcast. This is my yeah. second podcast. And, I have two jobs. One, I have to make a podcast that helps people. And two, I do my best to make a podcast that is entertaining and uh, flows and is something that someone will listen to from beginning to end. So I have two jobs and it's a conflict, both of those jobs, because of the... uh, 
manner of which this podcast is, the, 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 what we're talking about, the subject matter, that both of those might not go hand in hand, but I have to be very delicate with how it, it, it's done. Mm-hmm. And as someone who is trying to help people, um, I have this one job to do, but then as someone who's trying to get this out to as many people as possible and get people maybe who have never thought about this subject matter to listen, I have another responsibility, but you know, I have a responsibility to the audience as a whole while yeah. trying to make this thing grow and go. So, you know, the idea of the struggle between as someone I'm, I'm not a guru. I am not uh, things like that. I'm just a host of a show with a guy with a microphone, but a lot of people listen to. So I have a, this responsibility and I have my own inner turmoil uh, when, when it comes to this. And I guess it's a struggle of my spiritual values and, and everything like that, because, you know, sometimes I'm trying to come up with ideas for the show. I'm trying to give ideas for things that might go on our Patreon, ideas that should go on to the, our YouTube that I'm going to be starting and what types of videos those should be. And, you know, sometimes things pop in my head, which are not, you know, appropriate. <laughs> and, you know, cause the entertainment side of me kind of comes out and, you know, I'm, I, I have to kind of sit there and, you know, and be like, maybe a couple of days later, I'd been writing out this idea and I'm like, that's not right. And sure. that's, that's wrong. Um, so for me, it becomes this conflict of this internal squabble of, kind of what to do and what not to do because as someone who is uh in this uh what's i'm not going to say public eye because my show's not that big but uh, you know that i can be scrutinized that i have to scrutinize myself as much as possible and sometimes i'm going to make a mistake and you know yeah. you know and if i make a mistake that could be a you know and i somehow step over a line uh that will come back to uh, haunt me and not just haunt me in the sense of like my whole audience would, would turn on me, but also like I would, the wound that would hit me would be uh, huge. So um, can we kind of, is there a way that we can help, I guess me and, and kind of going forward when it comes to this type of spirituality. And I guess, you know, it's really a, a, um, a struggle between capitalism and um, I'm not going to use the word socialism, but capitalism and being altruistic. And because yeah. uh, to me, altruistic in my mind is spiritual. Um, so how would you uh, help me within this situation? Well, I think there's a couple of parts to that that I'll probably have to unpack. But um, the first point that I heard was that uh, you are worried about um, basically making a, a misstep because while you're definitely in it to help people, um, your creative process sometimes bring up, brings up things that you later realize are a bit objectionable and you end up throwing it out. Yeah, uh, like, like I grew up on Mel Brooks. Like Mel Brooks is a hero of mine and Mel Brooks made Blazing Saddles, which to me was it was like just the genius of movies. But today it might be considered uh, not woke. I think it's the opposite. Um, And, uh, you know, I grew up on The Simpsons. 
I grew up on South Park. Yeah. Uh, um, and you know, I, I, the, 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 that's kind of my sense of humor. Uh, it's okay. like, so I'm hearing that you, you value being sensitive to the needs of others. And I hear that you, you value your work, uh, as a healer and you also value your livelihood. Um, and would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So just knowing that those are sort of the, the, the key things that you value in your work, um, I would keep that really um, at the front of your focus while you're dealing with those types of fears. Um, and then also, you know, you can, you can, resor- you can resource yourself with um, understanding the journey of other creatives. So uh, something that popped into my mind when you were talking was um, Brene Brown. She talks at length at, about the power of creativity and about how you have to step into vulnerability actually in order to make your creative life possible and it's very scary because you're putting yourself out there there's going to be people that don't like your message there's just going to be people that don't like you and you will hear negative things and you have to balance that and you have to you have to develop an ability to cope with that okay yeah so I guess another thing that I've struggled with has been, and I think a lot of people struggle with, is the age-old question, will I ever be good enough? Good, good, I said good enough. Good <laughs> enough. Will, will I ever be good enough? So, you know, this is something that happened, you know, obviously was created in your childhood, and or it could have happened, you know, in a narcissistic abuse relationship where someone has never experienced this before. But then obviously within that relationship, they've been uh, so abused mentally that they, yeah. they, they, they gain that thought in their head. Um, yeah. So as far as um, this type of issue, how do you help people confront this issue in your practice? Um. So for people who are going to self-resource, if they're feeling feelings like that, I would definitely recommend that you get a book on um, on CBD um, just to confront your your own uh, limiting beliefs. So basically, like in coaching, if someone would make the statement that they, they don't feel good enough, I would immediately start to investigate why they are thinking in that way. So it's not the thought necessarily that's the problem. And obviously it's, it's really up for debate. It's, it's, I mean, is that really a true statement? Can you say unequivocally that you are, or you are not good enough for, for something? Um, So, you know, if you, if you analyze it, it kind of falls apart a little bit. And then you can see that maybe you have an overly negative style of thinking and it's causing you to have a, a, an inner belief that that would result in, in you actually saying things like that to yourself. And, um, and so coaching is, is, uh, is actually designed to break those things down. Um, and actually, you know, there's a lot of parts to that. You know, it's, it's examining that limiting belief and the type of thinking to challenge the type of thinking that you're, you're having that would produce that. And then also I think that I, I examine um, triggers that are related to that. So you can look at maybe your attachment style and um, kind of identify 
how you're relating with other people um, and, and find out like what is it about the way that you're relating to other people that causes you to, to feel so negatively in your experiences and relationships. So we are now at the part of the show where we get to do audience questions. Are you ready? Oh, okay. Yes. Because <laughs> I know you you wanted to do them before. You like some of these questions. Here we go. Here we go. Is there a spiritual formula to help me not react to my family who are trying to get a reaction out of me? I found the idea of a spiritual formula to be very strange. Um, I think that there there's ways that you can use your your spiritual wisdom to tap into higher parts of yourself that can then help you to kind of work with difficult situations because you're becoming more conscious of difficult situations with people. You're becoming more conscious of where you're triggered. So I would say that if you're kind of looking for a key, just tap into um, a, a practice of getting grounded and becoming more aware. And that's going to be the best way to go about it. Because if you can take a step back and just notice what's happening, give yourself a moment or two before you start reacting with people in your life, then you're going to be way ahead of where you are now. All right. Next question. What does narcissistic abuse do to the solar plexus chakra? And for me and everyone else out there, you're going to have to first explain what a solar plexus chakra is. Okay. Well, I was really excited by this question. Um, I did not expect uh, such a specific um, sort of chakra-oriented question. This question came out of our support group on Facebook. It was it was asked when I posted it, so I you know I was like, okay, I'll be asking it. I have academic experience in the psychology of the chakras, so that was why I was so excited by that. But, okay, so for people who aren't too aware, the solar plexus is sort of at the base of your sternum. And it is, uh, it's actually called Manipura in the chakra system. And Manipura is a Sanskrit word that means the city of jewels. And in the the psychology of chakras, um, it is really the seat of the personality. So I think it's a brilliant question in regards to narcissistic abuse, because people who have these patterns in 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 their lives, um, we've talked we talked about it earlier. It it can be a, a deficiency uh, in in the actual concrete sense of self. So that chakra is actually. Um, really, really relevant to healing because that's where you can really um, engage with your value system and you can engage with what it means to have a healthy ego and healthy boundaries and you can engage with who you want to be in the world. And when you're going through recovery from narcissistic abuse, you have to reclaim a solid sense of self and you have to, and you have to realize that, that you, it's okay to be yourself. And it, it takes some amount of also then rebuilding that and redefining that from where you are right now. Um, so I loved, I really loved that question. I thought it was great. 
when that question was asked, I did not know that it was going to be such a big question because I, you know, I'm unfamiliar with this. I tried to do my best homework as possible. Um, but that person who asked that question, if you're listening from our support group, thank you for asking that question. And I will, and I will get a hold of you on our Facebook support group just to tell you thank you in person. Um, next question. My narcissistic ex was a practicing licensed transpersonal therapist himself for many years. I'm always curious about therapists and narcissism themselves. Not sure if that's a question, but maybe it is. Uh, What are things to look out for in finding and working with a therapist after this type of abuse? I'm going to approach this from sort of like what I think is the ground And I think I I said before earlier in this podcast when I was talking about spiritual community and how when I was uh, studying transpersonal psychology at the university level, I thought that I detected a high level of narcissism and narcissistic hierarchies. And and that was sort of where I first became tuned into the fact that people with narcissistic traits are often very attracted to spiritual leadership. And that is why you can see narcissism in clergy and also in social workers and psychotherapists. Um, it's definitely not unheard of. And if you've had that experience, um, you're, you're not alone. Narcissists show up basically in, you know, every position, every profession, um, that's out there. So, um, yes, there are going to be narcissistic therapists out there. Um, and I think it's, it's really, really sad if you've gone to a therapist for, for recovery from narcissistic abuse and you find that these dynamics are then present. Um, however, I think that when you're looking for therapy for that kind of abuse, you have to do your due diligence and make sure before you start the therapy that the therapist actually has a good skill set with being able to work with that specific type of recovery. I know that narcissistic abuse has caught on so much in the past five years or so and just in the general society, but there's still a lot of uh, psychotherapeutic professionals out there who may not really know how to work with it. And if you think of narcissists, they're often not really able to um, acknowledge narcissism in their own life or in the the lives of others. I've not ever really heard a narcissist say anything super reflective or, um, or or really have a lot of awareness about the phenomena in general. I think maybe it's too close to to what they are and they've not actually unpacked this, the shadow aspect of the personality um, enough to be able to help someone. So I think a good way to avoid this type of person is to get a sense of therapists, who aren't able to work with, with that, you know? Um, and they'll often list, um, if, if, if you're going for like a proper psychotherapist, um, they'll list what they, what they specialize in. Um, and, you know, if, if narcissistic abuse isn't on that list, I would, I would avoid it um, and go with someone who absolutely specializes and then ask them how they got the experience to be able to specialize in it. And if you can connect with them on that aspect, you know that they had maybe 
Oftentimes, it's going to be a personal experience with maybe a narcissistic family or narcissistic abuse in, in some other way actually manifested in their lives. They healed from it. Um, I think that's more sort of the territory that you need to be looking for. Next question. I grew up with a narc father using religion as a tool in the abuse and manipulation. Since Mm -hmm. then, it has been very difficult for me to believe in a higher power. I know religion and spirituality are not the same. I have since been following the old Viking teachings and beliefs of energies. Is there a way to remove the God aspect from the spirituality part of me and still be a spiritual person? Yes. It doesn't matter. Like, as we said before, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter how it is that you connect with your higher self. You just need to have an honest look about what, what maybe your practice is actually doing for you. If it's helping you, you have more of a feeling of, of expansiveness, of acceptance of self and others, of compassion for self and others, and it's amplifying your well-being and um, your ability to love people unconditionally, then you're on a good spiritual path, whether or not that involves a deity or a god or a messiah or many, many gods or maybe just um, some concepts. Um, what matters is your relationship with yourself and, and others at the end of the day. And Elizabeth, before we leave, do you have any last words of that you want people to know about your practice, you, or anything that is going on in your life in the coming months, weeks, days? Um, well, this is like a very big event for me of being on this podcast. I, I really want to thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, you head over to my website and just check out my um, my offerings. Um, I'm working on putting together some group packages soon and, um, and, you know, I, I sometimes go live. Um, and so if you're looking to connect with me, just connect with me on Instagram, um, or give me an email and I, we can, we can have a little chat and, uh, you know, talk about your situation and see how I could best be of service to you. Well, thank you once again for being part of the show. I had a great time talking about spirituality. I was really looking forward to the show and opening up with you, and I enjoyed every second of it. So thank you for being part of it. It's such a pleasure. And uh, for everyone else out there who is listening, I hope you have a good night. <laughs>